Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Now, our study of the book of Matthew is focusing on Jesus' teachings concerning the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we spoke about how the kingdom is made up of three basic elements. There is a king, right? A kingdom has a king, and in the kingdom of heaven, the king is the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, there are subjects or citizens. In the kingdom of heaven, the citizens are those who have submitted to the Lord Jesus and are called His disciples. Paul describes those who are in the kingdom this way. That God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. We were in one dominion, we were in one kingdom, which was the kingdom of darkness. And He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. And third, the kingdom has a realm or a land. Now this land is more difficult to discern The kingdom of God is present with us where and when the blessed reign of King Jesus is experienced. And since it is a heavenly kingdom, it's not directly tied to any particular earthly location. Nevertheless, one day, the kingdom of heaven will encompass all of the earth. For a day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and at that time every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the King to the glory of God the Father. It is the call of every disciple, every citizen to go into the world And to spread the blessed reign of Christ as salt and light, proclaiming the gospel of forgiveness. Today we come to another central aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Which is the law of the kingdom. The law of the kingdom. You see, within every kingdom, within every country, there must be some governing document that establishes how the country will run. The law not only establishes what is forbidden, but also how the governing authorities will administer their power. The law gives guidance in times of conflict. It helps provide a pathway to justice. The law constitutes who are considered citizens, the rights and responsibility of both the citizens and the governing authorities. And ideally, the law should be aimed towards establishing a union of mutual benefit and well-being for all within the realm of its authority. And so I know many of you had to memorize the preamble to our Constitution, the Constitution of the United States, the foundation of our federal law. And it lays out its purpose. It says, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. You see, the out, at the outset of the foundation of the law of our country, 
says that it was established so that we might enjoy the blessings of justice, peace, security, prosperity, and liberty. And in our passage for this morning, King Jesus gives to His people the law of the kingdom. The constitution of His blessed reign. The guidance and direction that we need as citizens to know not only how we are to live within the heavenly kingdom, but how our King will work to establish justice, peace, and life. So here now, the word of the Lord, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now at this time and we thank you, O Lord. For the blessed statutes of your law, for the testimony of the prophets, for the gospel of Christ, for the witness of the apostles. O glorious God, we ask that you would grant us your spirit of glory and the brightness of your presence. That as we read your word, we might have understanding and that we might be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our gracious Lord and Savior. Amen. So what is the law of the kingdom? Now, there's some of you who might balk at the idea of a law within the kingdom of heaven. It sounds a little bit too legalistic that there's a law in the kingdom of heaven. It seems to go against the very idea of grace. It reminds you of an overly controlling religious institution or even a cult. Wasn't the law an aspect of the Old Testament and the gospel has now replaced the law as Christians, as New Testament followers of God? Can't we throw aside the law and just follow after the Spirit? It's so very important for us to understand that the law of God is not replaced by the gospel. Rather, it's an integral part of life within the kingdom. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we do not overthrow, or do we overthrow the law by this faith, right? This faith in Jesus Christ, the, the, the proclamation that we receive forgiveness of sins by God's grace through Jesus Christ, 
Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Jesus, knowing that many would misunderstand His teaching on faith and grace, made it very clear that the commands of God remained the law of the kingdom. Look down at what He says in verse 17. You see, obviously something that Jesus was saying was making people think that the law and the prophets no longer applied to them. Something about His message, something about the grace that He was offering made them think, okay, maybe we can now set aside the law. But Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, the law... And the prophet was a way of speaking of the whole Old Testament. The law consisted of the first five books of the Bible, the writings of Moses. And the prophets referred to the rest of the Bible. And therefore, the law of the kingdom is the word of God. This is the foundation of truth that provides the structure and the administration of the kingdom of heaven. The constitution of God's country, if you will, is His Word. The Bible is the law of the kingdom. And yet, Jesus teaches that the Bible as the law of the kingdom has to be understood in a very specific manner if we are to read it and apply it and follow it correctly. For the law of the kingdom is not merely the commandments of the Old Testament, but it is the whole Word of God fulfilled in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. First, this means that the moral law of the Old Testament, which can be summarized in the Ten Commandments, was fulfilled through Jesus' perfect obedience. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not sin, that He fully and totally obeyed all that the Word of God commanded. Now we have to understand, this is not merely because Jesus was able to, that He had the power to perform the law. He did, but it's more than that. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, we understand that the law was a reflection of His own character. The law was a written expression of how one might be like Jesus Christ. Jesus obeyed the law because the law was based upon His own righteous character. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ as the Word of God existed prior to the writing of the law in the Old Testament. And the writing of the law was a reflection of Jesus Christ's own character. He is the very Word of God made flesh. And therefore, the moral law of God is fulfilled in Him because it is a reflection of Him. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law because the law spoke about Him. And to abandon any of the Word of God is to abandon Christ Himself. For He is the fulfillment of God's Word. 
Second, Jesus fulfilled the religious or ceremonial law in His life. You see, the law of God outlined how the people of God were to worship. It gave them the offerings and sacrifices by which they might enter into the presence of God through the atonement of their sin. However, these elements of worship were mere shadows and types of Christ Himself. For He came to fulfill the law by becoming the true sacrifice and offering for His people. And going to the cross, pouring out His blood, Jesus fulfilled all that the law required in its religious laws and regulations. For the blood of bulls and goats that had been offered for centuries in the temple could not provide true forgiveness of sins. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the true remedy for sin. It was the true cure for death. The ceremonial law of the Old Testament was to prepare the people of God for the coming fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We don't offer sacrifices of bulls and goats anymore, not because that law was abolished, but because it found its true fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We don't need to offer sacrifices anymore because the Son of God offered the perfect sacrifice. And therefore, when we read about all of the religious requirements in the Old Testament, we don't think, ah, that doesn't apply to us anymore. We think, Thank You, Lord Jesus, for fulfilling that on my behalf and giving me the true forgiveness and cleansing that my soul required. The law of the kingdom is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And third, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies spoken of Him and the future coming kingdom. You see, there were specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled concerning His birth, His lineage, His healings, His death, His resurrection. However, Jesus fulfilled the Word of God in a much fuller manner than just a handful of specific events. For all the Word of God points to Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. In Luke chapter 24, we read that the resurrected Jesus spoke to two of His disciples saying, And in the beginning, or beginning rather, with Moses and all the prophets, right? The law and the prophets. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. The law of the kingdom is the Christ-fulfilled Word of God. And this means that as followers of Jesus Christ, As citizens of the kingdom of God, we must learn the law of God from a Christ-centered perspective, seeing that all of the Word of God points to Jesus Christ. I know that many people were a bit baffled that the first sermon series that I did here at Rivermont was through the book of Numbers. And you thought, oh my goodness, the book of Numbers, what to do with anything. It's about Jesus Christ. That's why we go to the Old Testament. That's why we go to the law. That's why we go to the prophets. Because it is the law of the kingdom pointing us to Jesus Christ. 
And that means that to know the law of the kingdom, you must first know the king. You must first know the lawgiver. Or to put it more simply, to know the word of God rightly, you must first know the word of God made flesh. Jesus, as king of his kingdom, is the origin of the law. And to know him, you must submit to him as king. You must turn from the kingdom of darkness and its evil ways. And in faith, you must trust Jesus as the embodiment of the law. You see, every Christian must know the law, which is Christ. But if Jesus fulfilled the law, doesn't that mean that we don't have to obey it? Sometimes people will take that in that manner. They'll say, well, wait a second. Jesus fulfilled it. Therefore, I don't have to do it. If Jesus did it for us, now we can ignore it. Well, this is not the approach that Jesus gives to the citizens of his kingdom. Look at verses 18 through 19. Jesus says this. He says, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. First thing that he says about the law of the kingdom is that it is abiding, that it will never pass away. He strengthens this point by saying that even the smallest stroke of the law will not be taken out. The smallest letter, the least little dot that was written, everything remains. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus will say, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God does not change. The law of the kingdom is everlasting and therefore we cannot put it aside. Rather, we must obey it because it is abiding The second thing that we see is that we have to obey the law because there is punishment for disobedience and reward for obedience. Jesus says that whoever relaxes even the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom. Now to relax means to loosen a requirement, right? It's not this occasional or accidental breaking of God's law that you're trying to fight against, that we all have fallen flesh and we fight against sin. No, what he's talking about is an intentional ignoring our justification of turning from his commands, right? It's as though somebody said, yeah, Jesus says that we're to love our enemies. That doesn't mean all of our enemies. We can hate those people over there, Right. We there's a group of people over here that we don't like because because they're persecuting us or because they're blatantly going against the law of God. And, yeah, we're supposed to love our enemies. But you know what? Jesus didn't really mean that we can hate them. That's to loosen or to relax the law of the kingdom. And Jesus says that those who do that will be called least in the kingdom. On the other hand. There will be reward for those who obey the law of the kingdom and teach others to do so. 
Those who spend their time and their life and their energy coming alongside other disciples of Jesus Christ and encouraging them in following after the law of the kingdom and they will be called great. Now we need to be careful that we don't misunderstand. Because Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. He's not saying that God will render salvation to those who obey His law. Rather, He is teaching that those who have been brought into the kingdom by grace, those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior, who have repented of their sin, and through the blood of Christ have been cleansed and have been made citizens of this kingdom, those who out of no merit of their own will eternally dwell in the eternal presence of God Almighty with pleasures evermore, they will have to give an accounting for their lives. There will be a judgment of what we have done in this body, the Word of God says. And there will be those who are called great in the kingdom of heaven, and there will be those who are called least in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. So that we can have a proper understanding of what Jesus is saying. He said, Paul says this, he says, Now, If anyone builds on the foundation, now he's talking about Christ, you have the foundation, you received your salvation in Jesus Christ. You have the foundation of life. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Right? When Jesus returns, there will be a disclosing of what you built on the foundation of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Right? There will be fire. What survives through the fire? The gold, the silver, and the precious stones. But if anyone's work is burned up, the wood, the hay, the straw, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, though through fire. For many of us, this seems strange or odd that in the kingdom of God, that there is a law and there will be an accounting for how we lived our lives. But we do not need to be confused. God's Word is clear. We are not saved by our works, but by the work of Christ, the foundation. However, what we do with the gift of salvation will be made manifest. And if we obey the law of the kingdom, then we're building with gold and silver. But if we disobey and we teach others to do the same, we're building with wood, hay, and straw, and we'll suffer loss. There will be those who will be called great, and there will be those who are called least. And therefore, as a Christian, as those who would follow after Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, obey the law of God and teach others to do so. The law of the kingdom is Christ. For He is the Word of God made manifest. He is the fulfillment of the law. We must know Him to know the law. And if we would know Him, we must obey Him. For He says in John 14, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. 
If you have received Christ as your King, then you must obey Christ as your King. For this is the law of His kingdom. You see, every Christian must know the law because the law is Christ. Every Christian must obey the law of the kingdom because this is love for Christ. And the third thing that we see is that every Christian must be transformed by the law of the kingdom. We must be transformed. Look at verse 20. There Jesus says this. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to Jesus' original hearers, these words would have been startling, to say the least. Okay, it would be like if I said to enter the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be a better quarterback than Tom Brady. You're going to have to be a better cyclist than Lance Armstrong. You're going to have to be a better chef than Emeril, right? The standard is way up here. And if you want to get into the kingdom, you're going to have to meet that standard. To get into the kingdom, you have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. For the scribes and the Pharisees were the utmost of righteous in their day. We learn elsewhere in the book of Matthew that they would tithe their mint, their dill, and their cumin, right? These little spices. They were so meticulous that it's like, yeah, okay, we've got to make sure a tenth of my cumin, right? And they'll measure it out. Oh, oh, now I'm righteous, right? You see, the people of Israel had been exiled from the land of Canaan, first by Assyria and then by Babylon, And following this period of exile, a group of Jews were allowed to return to the land to resettle, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild their life around the law of God, to rebuild the kingdom of God on earth. And they determined that never again would they be exiled. And so they searched the scriptures. God, why did this happen and how can we keep this from happening again And what they realized was that disobedience to God's law had led to the exile. And therefore, they did whatever they could to ensure that they would never face exile again. They became meticulous in keeping of the law. They searched and they found 613 commandments in the law of God that they were to follow and follow them they did. So how could anyone's righteousness exceed the Pharisees? Well, as meticulous as the Pharisees were, their righteousness was merely external. A list of rules to obey. Even as Jesus said to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, it's not enough to know the law. It's not enough to obey the law of the kingdom. You must be transformed by the law of the kingdom. For in the kingdom of God, the law is not merely a document written on parchment or carved into stones. But rather the law is written upon the hearts of God's people. The truth of His Word must be 
in our hearts. And this is how our righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees. The law moves from being an outward standard to an inward conviction. It goes from outward performance to make sure that all of your boxes are checked to an inward love of God and of Christ and His people. For the law of the kingdom is love. The promise of the new covenant says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Every disciple of Jesus Christ must be transformed by the law of the kingdom. For the Holy Spirit must write the law upon our hearts so that we are not outwardly checking off a list of rules and saying, I know that I'm right with God because I have done all of these things. But rather, We are inwardly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ Himself by the work of the Spirit. For the law of the kingdom must change us so that we would be more like the King. Now to speak of the law is difficult for many of us in our current cultural context. Of course, as Christians, we have questions about the relationship between the law and the gospel, between legalism and grace. And hopefully those questions have at least been addressed, if not satisfied, as we've gone through these verses. Again, we are accepted into the kingdom, not based upon our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. We're forgiven of our sin, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, I think that there is a deeper discomfort with the idea of the law of the kingdom. Not because of a theological issue, but because we live in a culture that is extremely skeptical of any institutional authority. There is a rejection of the idea that authority can be used for good in our lives. Institutions have lost the trust of the people, not merely because of poor decisions or actions, but at a deeper fundamental level. The very idea of authority has been undermined in our nation and in our culture. And everyone feels as though they have a right to do what they believe is right in their own eyes. And to be told that there is a standard to obey... And an authority to submit to is seen as oppressive. And this anti-authoritarian spirit has invaded all aspects of our culture and thinking. It's in our homes with our children. It's in our schools and the conflict between students and teachers. It's in our media that continually presents a picture of authority being evil and oppressive. It's in our churches where the very idea that there is a session that's been given authority by God to direct the, to direct the church seems as though something that is not in line with what we would want as individuals. It's in our own civil lives, in our government interactions. The very basic question, does the government even have a right to tell me what to do? This 
is a deeper cultural issue that we all must be aware of. That it is within our very nature because of our upbringing to push against the goads of authority in our lives. And it might not be such a theological issue that you have with the law, but it's a cultural issue in which you think no one has the right to tell me what to do. The book of Judges describes what life is like when there's no king and therefore no law. When everyone can be a law unto themselves. Life within Israel quickly deteriorates into utter chaos until the tribes of Israel go to war with one another. Can you imagine the people of God fighting with each other? Never. Why did this happen? Well, the book of Judges explains and says several times throughout the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You do you. When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, when there is no law, it leads to chaos and ultimately to death. And within the church today, there seems to be a willingness to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, but an unwillingness, a stiffness of neck to submit to Jesus Christ as King and Lawgiver. We want to live within His kingdom and have all of the blessings and benefits, but we're not sure if we want to obey the law that the King has given to us. Christian. To be a follower of Christ, we cannot jettison the law that He has come to fulfill. We must know the law because it points to faith in Jesus Christ. We must obey the law because it teaches us to love Jesus Christ. And we must be transformed by the law because it forms us into the image of Christ Jesus Himself. This is how We will form a more perfect union, secure life everlasting. Submission to the law of the kingdom. Submission to Christ as Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you in this time and we confess, Lord, I confess that within my heart there is a story that says authority is bad. And that is my job, it is my right to push against and to question. And oh Lord, we know that this world is broken and that many of our leaders are broken. God, but we pray that you would change our hearts because we know that Christ the King is perfect and his law is perfect. Would you overcome our hard hearts, our stiff necks, and teach us to walk in obedience? We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.